All right. Go ahead and uh, take out your Bibles. Um, turn to Psalm 11. This morning, um, the sermon's going to be Shelter in the Storm. Now, before I even dive in, it is uh, its always amazing to me how um, God directs our paths toward a particular series. And, you know, it probably wouldn't be what you would think um, would be like the best summer series going through what really seems to be a lot of down times for David in the beginning of the Psalms. Um, but it always winds up being so fitting. Um, every week um, as we're working through it, that's one of the, to me, the blessings of working through um, books of the Bible the way we do is just to see how God works providentially through His Word. Um, it's always right on time. And um, this morning kind of fits that mold again as well. And a lot of it, you know, one of the challenging things for me is as I'm preparing is you know, how, how am I going to present this when it seems to be redundant of what we talked about over the last like three, four, five weeks. Sometimes it just continues to carry the same theme. Um, and so at the end of that, what I just have to find and, and trust in is that this is the Lord's word. He's put it before us in the way he has, and we're just going to trust him to work and ask the Spirit to lead. Um, but as we work through Psalm 11, I want to kind of ask you a question, um, per se, um, to kind of get the wheels turning a little bit. Is Have you ever kind of faced a situation where you seemed hopeless, um, where it didn't seem... You have anything left to hold on to but Christ. I mean, everything else had fallen apart. Everything was going sideways. Um, nothing seemed to work. And all you had was the Lord. Um, we've probably all been in those situations at some point. We may be going through those situations now. And if you're not, you will at some point go through a situation like that. But the tricky side is, in addition to going through something so difficult, um, how much harder it is when we have people who are trying to give us advice that actually leads us away from trusting in the Lord. Um, and it could be as well-intentioned as possible, but it's pulling us away from leaning into the Lord, right? In Psalm 11, that's exactly what we find. David is facing a crisis. Now, we don't know exactly what the crisis is. Um, a lot of um, theologians and commentators seem to lean towards this being a psalm written um, actually before David became king. He, he had been announced that he would be the king. He had been promised that he'd be the next king, but he was still serving under Saul. And if you remember, as David began to gain prominence and growth and popularity, Saul became more and more and more jealous of David. And even to the point where he tried to take his life. And a lot of commentators believe that's where David wrote this, was kind of in that um, season. But, but regardless, what we need to understand is there's some type of crisis facing David, some type of trial facing David. And he has been advised by his advisors, by the people closest to him, to not rest in the Lord, but to run. 
basically panic and flee for your life. They are going to take your life. Your life is going to be taken from you, so you need to run. And so you have the closest advisors to you telling you to do one thing, but he actually does the opposite. So instead of listening to the people who should have the wisdom and who should have the sense, you would think, worldly wisdom at least, he instead leans more into the Lord, and instead of giving way to this advice of these faithless folks, he trusts in the confidence that he has in the Lord. Now, the main idea for the text of where we're going to be today is that when you face the raging storms of life and the advice of the faithless, we confidently rest in Jesus as the shelter in the storm. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in, and we're going to look at two sides of Psalm 11. We're going to see the advice of the faithless, and we're also going to see how um, the Lord is our shelter in the storm. So let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would just meet us here right now. God, that you would reveal yourself through your word to us. God, that we would hear from you. Um, God, we come trusting that you know every one of us. You know our lives. You know our situations. God, you know what we need, when we need it, how we need it. So we pray, God, that your word would just penetrate deep into our lives and fill those crevices right now. God, we are grateful for your word and your word given to us. We pray, God, that you would just speak now to us through it. God, selfishly, I pray, God, for your spirit to speak because I'm weak. Um, I sound funny. I can't breathe. So I'm just asking you to speak in your power the words that every one of us here needs to hear. God, we love you and we're thankful for you and your word. And now we come before you trusting that this word is the word meant for us right now in whatever situation of our lives we're in. And so we press into you and we trust in the sufficiency of your word for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So right off the bat, it starts to the choir master of David. Very short title. David obviously is the author to the choir master. Again, a lot of times when we read choir master in the Psalms, it's actually a song written. written. I'm going to do all kind of weird stuff talking today, okay? Um, it's a, usually a song written to the Lord, um, the chief choir master. So David in this trial starts in verse 1. He says, in the Lord do I take refuge. See, despite the wave of uncertainty um, during the storm of David's life, he remained confident and steadfast in the hope of Jesus, um, the Lord. Um, he, he remained confident in the hope of the God who had delivered him time and time and time again. Um, even if this was before David was king, he had likely already faced many storms. Um, if you remember, even as a young boy, he faced 
um, just being kind of the runt of the family and um, the picking of his brothers. And they got sent off to battle, and he got left at home because he was small and and almost insignificant. But he, he also faced Goliath, and he faced a lion, and he faced a bear as a shepherd boy, and God constantly delivered him. And so he's taking refuge in the Lord. It, it doesn't matter what's going on around him. The Lord is where he finds his refuge. The Lord is where he finds his hope. And he holds tightly in to his trust in the Lord, not because he's strong to trust in the Lord, but because the Lord is strong to never let him go. And his trust in God never waned because his confidence was not in himself. It was not in his situations, but it was in the fact that God was sovereign over all things. And if he knew that that God loved him and that God cared for him, then he could place his trust in that type of God who is sovereignly gracious in all things. But he goes on, he says, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, again, in addition to this trial that David is facing, he's not only having to face this um, seemingly life-altering trial, crisis, but now he's having to hear all of these people that are close to him telling him to do something that he knows is not an act of faith. They're saying, listen, you need to run for your life. And so he's like, but how can you say to my soul, if the Lord is my refuge and if the Lord is who I'm taking refuge in, how can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? Run. Your life is going to be taken. They're coming after you. You're going to die. Run. And he's having to listen to these people who he cares about, who care about him, and they're, they're telling him to do what is actually opposite of what he needs to do, and they're leading him to question his faith. They're leading him to run, to flee for his life, but his refuge is not in his own life, and it's not in his own safety. His refuge is in the Lord. I love this quote from Stephen Lawson. He says this, Never do believers experience God to be so sufficient as when they find themselves in the most difficult times, confronted with trials beyond their control. It is in man's extremities that he discovers God's sufficiency. Our sufficiencies. How much do we lean into the Lord? You know, I would say for most of us, if we are confessing Christians, we would say that our trust is in the Lord. We would say that we're leaning into the Lord, that we're resting in the Lord. It's easy to say that when life is not all that difficult. But it's in the moments where everything seems to be falling apart, then we really begin to say, am I really trusting in the Lord? Am I actually trusting the Lord or am I just talking a good game, right? Because it's easy to say something. It's a whole other thing to live that. But to be able to truly rest in the promises of God, and, and that's kind of where we find David here, right? He's had this crisis come about. 
and, and the, all of these people are advising him to run, but he's trusting in the Lord. The Lord wants him to stay, and he's going to stay. The Lord wants him to do a particular thing, and he's going to do that particular thing. He's not going to run because it gets hard. He's not going to flee because it gets trying. I mean, if that was the case, none of us would ever sit still, right? We'd always be moving. We'd always be running. We'd always be trying something different because it's hard to do the work of God. It's hard to live the life that God has called us to live. But he was trusting in the provision of God. God had provided for him time and time again. The Lord had been really good to David. The Lord had protected David. And just like we see in this quote from Lawson, when we come against some of the hardest walls, that's where we find the reality of how great God truly is. And even more so to understand that when we are facing these crises, that God has not left us, that God doesn't forsake us, but He's always there. He's always caring for His people, right? The God of all creation, the God who created all things, loves us and cares for us enough to make a way for us to be called sons and daughters of God. Now, it would be easy to write us off for God's sake. We are enemies of God. We're haters of God. We're children of wrath. And everything we do from our natural sin standpoint goes against the nature and character of God. It only makes sense that God would eradicate us or that God would turn away from us. But instead, He comes to us. That's why Romans 5, but God demonstrates His own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Knowing us, knowing our condition, God comes by way of Jesus anyway. And if we don't find our rest in that promise, if we're not leaning into that hope, then we'll quickly hear the advice of all of the other people who are trying to actually steer us away from God, regardless of how well intending they are for us. They may be trying to tell us the things that we, they think we need to hear, but but ultimately, it's Matthew 6, right? For what shall we worry about? Uh, why should I worry about tomorrow? What am I going to eat or what am I going to drink? I'm, I'm, I'm placing my trust completely in the Lord, right? And so it's in the Lord where we find our refuge. It's in the Lord where we find our strength. And so when the storms of life begin to rage and we want to panic or we want to flee, we instead should remember to trust in the God of all grace, the calmer of the seas. Now, if you will, hold your finger right there in Psalm 11 and flip over to Psalm 46. Now, you've, if you've been around New City, you've heard me refer to Psalm 46 before. It wasn't written by David, but it actually coincides extremely well. But in Psalm 46, this is what we read. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, 
So because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though its mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. So although everything is chaotic and everything seems off, we're not running yet. It goes on verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Again, chaos ensuing. God speaks. The earth melts. And the psalmist says, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And this is what most of us would be familiar when it comes to Psalm 46. He says, be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. And so when everything is going awry and everything is falling apart, the people of God, those who have trusted in Christ, should heed that instruction to just be still and know that I'm God. It's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? It's a lot easier said than done to see chaos around us when everything in our life seems to be changing, everything in our life seems to be just going 90 to nothing, to be able to sit still and remember how good and how great and how mighty God truly is. And that's where we find David. All the advice is telling him to do one thing, but the Lord is telling him to do something else. Now, if we find ourselves in that situation, how are we going to respond? Well, I think a lot of it depends on how in tune we are to Christ. If we're in a strong relationship with the Lord, if we're meditating on His Word day and night, it's a lot easier to hear what God is calling us to do. But if we're not, then it's really easy to hear the advice of all the people who even have good intentions for us tell us to do something else. So what are we actually doing? Are we actually trusting in the Lord or... Are we just making a claim that we're following God, but we're actually not? How do we respond when we face the advice of the faithless? Are we taking refuge in the Lord? Are we tucking tail and running? And we doing something else because it might not provide the same security or it might not provide the same safety. The Lord is our refuge. Psalm 46 says, a very present help in times of trouble. But he goes on in Psalm 11, in verses 4 through 7, and we find now that in the first portion, we have this advice from the faithless. They're trying to urge David to, to run, to not stand firm, to not really trust in the Lord. And then we see this response that the Lord is a shelter in the storm. 
Now, how at such a transition can David be so confident in such turbulent times? Because his confidence is in the Lord, right? He's not confident in himself. He's confident in the Lord. And what we find in verses 4 through 7 is he's actually confident really um, three different ways. And first off, we see that he's confident in God's sovereignty. Look at verses, the beginning of verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. See, regardless of what is going on around him, regardless of all the trials and the crisis and the tribulations, God never leaves his throne. He's ruling, he's reigning. So, there's nothing in our life that's going to happen. There's nothing in our history that will happen that will make God anxious enough to leave his throne. His throne is secure forever. Because he is the creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. He is the Lord of all things. He is the upholder of all things. He is upholding all things by the word of his power. And if he is that great and he is that mighty, he is that glorious, then there is nothing that can come against the throne of the Lord. And so David's confidence is that the Lord is in his holy temple. His throne is in heaven. He is ruling and he is reigning. And we have seen this over the last several weeks, that even when it seems that all is falling apart, God has not forgotten the afflicted. He has not left the poor and the powerless. Instead, He is working all things together for the good of those who love Him. And this should provide confidence for us as well. Because we are the broken, we are the poor, we are the afflicted. We're stained with sin, we're marred with sin, we're corrupted by sin, and that has left us completely separated from God with no hope. But in His love, God sends Jesus to come to die in our place for our sin to give us hope. And so David is confident in God's sovereignty, that His throne is never unoccupied, even when all hope seems lost, even when everything seems to be falling apart, and we feel that our only solution is to flee, we feel our only solution is to run, we should remain firm because God is. He is in control. And here's the truth for us, that when all around you the storms are raging and hope seems lost, Turn to Christ who is both the author and perfecter of faith. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Why? Well, because he's passionate about his own glory. And as in he is pursuing his own glory and he is um, making sure to protect his own glory, he provides for us and our good in that pursuit. David's also confident in God's Act as righteous judge. Now, hopefully you've noticed a theme. 
that God is ruling and reigning sovereignly. And when I say notice the theme, I mean over like the last, well, 11 weeks now. That God is ruling and reigning sovereignly, but he's also a righteous judge. These, these are two things that continuously um, keep coming up. And the reason I believe that is coming up is because we need the reminder un- to understand that, one, we're not our own. God is in control and God is ruling and reigning sovereignly and righteously. But also we need to understand that when wrong happens to us, it's not our job to take over and play judge and jury. We need to trust in the Lord, in the Lord's leading, in the Lord's timing, in the Lord's goodness. See, again, God is extremely passionate about his own glory. And because he is passionate on his glory, he rules sovereignly. He reigns in perfect righteousness. He is a gracious king and he is a holy judge who loves and he cares for his glory. And the byproduct of that is him loving and caring for his people. And the promise of scripture is that his plans never fail. I mean, because think about it from just a sheer philosophy standpoint, if his plans were to fail, then we couldn't actually get to Revelation and believe the promises of God. Because he's already said, I'm coming to make all things new. I will, period, right? And so if he can make that definitive claim, then that means he must know how it's all going to play out. And so you begin to question that and you begin to question the validity of Scripture and the the validity of the promises of God. And at that point, you've just really question God himself and he's no longer your refuge he's just an object but he's so much more than that he is ruling and he is reigning in sovereign grace for his glory and the good of his people and the thing about the fact that God is ruling and reigning as a righteous judge so again The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let Him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. So you see this act of righteous judgment here. And the thing about the righteous judgment of God is it promises this that no sin will go unnoticed nor unpunished. Period. doesn't matter the gravity of your sin, the nature of your sin. If it is sin, it will not go unnoticed or unpunished. Which is exactly why we find ourselves in the condition we do. Separated from a holy God. God could not look at sin. God could not exist with sin. That's why on the cross, God turned his back from Christ. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But in that moment, we find the greatest act of love. See, in 2 Corinthians 5, we read this. For our sake, that is those who have trusted in Christ, for our sake... He made him, that is God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So out of love for his glory and out of love for his people, Christ becomes the God-man. 
stepping into our existence, into our world, taking on human flesh, and on the cross takes all of the sin for all of his people for all of eternity. And he bears the wrath of God for that sin. Which is why Isaiah 53 can say, by his wounds we have been healed. Now you think about that. All of his sins, for all of his people, for all of time. That means your sin and my sin were being bore by Christ on the cross. And if God, as a righteous judge, cannot let sin go unnoticed or unpunished, then he poured out the wrath meant for you and for me on his son so that we might be called the righteousness of God. What a beautiful picture that is. To know that God loves and cares enough for His glory and enough for His people that He would come and give His self so that we could live. It's been said that there is more grace in Christ than sin in us. What a joy to know. That means it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. There is forgiveness to be found in the work of Christ. It's not going to be found in what you do. It's not going to be found in your church attendance, in the way you give, in the way you serve. It's going to be found in the blood of Jesus. And so I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're coming and you're thinking, if I can just continue to do this, God's going to be pleased. The only thing God is pleased with is the work of Jesus. Because it is the only perfect selfless act in all of history. And if we want to be redeemed from our sin, if we want to be saved from our sin, if we want hope, then we trust in Jesus and the work he did on the cross in giving his life to set us free. That's where we find hope. That's where we find rest. And again, there's more grace in Christ than sin in you. But lastly, David is confident in the Lord's righteousness. Look at verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. And the upright shall behold his face. God is righteous and God is holy. And those define his character. And if those things are defining his character, if he is perfect in righteousness and if he is holy, I mean, completely set apart from all things, then God will always act within his perfect character. Always. Because if there was ever a moment that he did not act within his perfect character, then we couldn't say he's holy. And I don't know. Maybe you're saying, like, this is kind of a circular argument. So you're saying that everything that the Scripture is saying, that's what we hold to. But if we question any of it, then God, yeah, that's exactly what we're saying. This is the Word of God. And if God has proclaimed in his Word to us that he is righteous and that he is holy, then we take that to the bank. We've talked about the holiness of God over and over and over again. 
And I'm here to tell you the reason is, is because it is one of the most important things we could ever grasp. Is there a reason that the Scripture only has one attribute of God that is spoken of three times consecutively, and it does it twice? There's a reason for that. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah gets this vision of Jesus ruling and reigning on the throne. And the angels are crying out from sign of the temple to the other side of the temple, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. And then later in Revelation, you see this a very similar image of the angels declaring, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. Holy, completely set apart. And if God is holy, then He is going to act in His perfect character. And if we know that and we find confidence in that, then we can trust that He will be the shelter in the storms when we face those storms. And the good news is, is that if God is righteous, if God is holy, if God is perfect in all of His ways, then there's nothing you and, and I and anyone else can ever do to change that fact. He says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. He remains the same always across the board. He's always pursuing His glory while working for our good and our joy. And that's where we find our confidence. So how can David say, in the Lord I take refuge? That's how. So how can anyone question when I want to take refuge in the Lord or when I'm trying to take refuge in the Lord? How can they say, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If its foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I have heard time and time again people try to equate this passage to the country of America. And I'm telling you that is not what it's doing. We're here to declare the goodness of God, period. The greatness of God. That's why David says the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His throne in heaven. His eyes see, His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but His soul hates the wicked, the one who loves violence. Let Him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. And it ends with the upright shall behold His face. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see his lovely face, clothed in and blood-washed linen house, singing his sovereign grace. Can you imagine that day? To stand before this majestic king of glory and be able to proclaim his goodness throughout all of the rest of eternity. I mean, if you're wanting heaven for any other reason than that, you might want to uh, reevaluate your motives. The Lord is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. So again, when you face the raging storms of life and the advice of the faithless, confidently rest in Jesus as the shelter in the storm. See, if you're here and you're a Christian, You've trusted in Christ. A storm's coming. You've either been through a storm, you're facing a storm, or you're going to face a storm. Yeah, that, that's the truth. There are a lot of people that try to say, if you follow Christ, life's going to be easy and grand. That's not necessarily the case. 
I mean, even Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Storm's coming. And I want to encourage you by what we've heard in the Word and by what we know of the character and the nature of God. Don't panic. Don't run. Trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all of your ways, all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord. Don't tell and run. Trust in the Lord. Remember His goodness. Psalm 23, 6, For surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So trust in the Lord. Remember His goodness, and remember the promises of God. Romans 8, right? That God is working all things together for good for those who love Him and call it according to His purpose. And then what we talked about last week, that He is coming to make all things new. So I don't know where you're at. It's hard to know what everybody's going through at the same time. But the Lord knows. And I'm here to encourage you that you can find refuge in Him. You can find hope in Him and trust in Him. Let's pray together. Our Father, um, we come to you now. God, asking that um, you... Encourage our hearts and our spirit to um, just find rest in you. God, for those of us here who have confessed Christ and we trust Christ and we are truly children of God, God, I pray that you continue to encourage us if we're facing the storms or prepare us for the storms we may face. And then, God, I pray for those who are here who have never trusted in you, God, that today would be that day that they would cry out to Jesus, the only hope of rescue and salvation. So God, we glorify you in this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray.